the way that happened initially was me feeling like she was saying, you're a terrible dad. Yes. <laughs> I can't believe you would do that. And, and because of what you just said, I did have the guilt. I would under-discipline the kids because and be afraid that they were going to pick mom over me. You're listening to the Nacho Kids Podcast, where we discuss all things step-family related. Real stories, real people, real help. Your hosts are the creators of the Nacho Kids Method and the Nacho Kids Academy Step Family Coaching Team, Lori and David Sims. We never left, so we're back. <laughs> How can you be back if we never leave? I don't know. <laughs> All right. We didn't go nowhere, so we're still here. Yeah, we've been sitting here for a week, just waiting to record again. <laughs> yes. David, we had a very eventful weekend. Yeah, we did. We had some friends come over. Yeah, we have friends. <laughs> yeah, and it's been a long time. <laughs> I know. <laughs> but these friends traveled a long way to come see us. They did. And they get here, and I open the door, and these confetti bombs go off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they did. I loved it. Loved, loved, loved it. Even the next morning when I woke up and saw it, it made me smile. Yeah, I loved it after I realized what was going on because my initial response was somebody's getting shot. <laughs> you open the door up and it's like, pow, pow. <laughs> like, what in the world was that? <laughs> stuff flying all over the place. Yeah, Jackson's like, I heard, lock the door, pow, pow. <laughs> he said, I was about to bust out with the gun. Man, but yeah, it was, it was an interesting weekend. Yes, we played some games. <laughs> yeah, we did. And we went to the tractor pool. <laughs> and that was fun. I love the tractor pool. Yeah. Is that a Southern thing or does it happen anywhere else? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know either. Well, it's like kind of like NASCAR. We thought, you know, for the longest time, NASCAR was kind of a, a Southern thing, but no, not anymore. I mean, they race out at, you know, California and everywhere else. All right. Before I forget, we do have another winner of the Sylvia Krakauer Nacho Kids Academy Scholarship to announce. And that winner is Sally D. Welcome, Sally D. Sally D, please check your email <laughs> and we will get you started. Click on that phishing link we sent you. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What else we got going on, David? Um, not sure. Me either. So let's just talk about our guest. Oh, wait, there is something else. <laughs> we do have a t-shirt contest going on for our Instagram followers to celebrate us reaching a thousand Instagram followers. So go to Instagram, like the post, follow us, tag someone so they can enter and be entered into the drawing to get a Nacho Kids t-shirt of your choice. All right. I guess you can see the t-shirts at nachokids.com slash store. Yes, you can. Our guest today is Chris Bercher. Chris is not a stepdad. Okay. He is a bio dad in the blend. Mm -hmm. He's been married six years, divorced 11 to the other lady. <laughs> he has four kids total, ages 15, 18, and 19, and a five-year-old that is an hours kid. Wow. Yeah. He started over, David. So we get to hear the from the bio dad married to the crazy stepmom. Is that what it is? Well, no, because she's not crazy. <laughs> but here's the kicker, David. 
all the kids are girls. <gasps> Ooh, poor yes. guy. Mm-hmm. Poor guy. He understands that being a stepmom is hard. It is. Toughest job you ever love. Oh, wait a minute. That's Peace Corps. <laughs> <laughs> and, of course, he struggles with always being in the middle of the stepmom and the kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Chris actually has his own podcast, and it is called Knowledge Plus Experience Equals Wisdom. Hmm. Okay, cool. So you can check him out at chrisbercher.com, and we will put the link in the show notes. I do have to talk about one part of our interview. He said that one of his kids wrote, I hate Kathleen on the walls, which is the stepmom. Hmm. And I said, yeah, it's kind of hard not to take it personally when she says, I hate Kathleen. It's the other Kathleen. Yeah. It wasn't you, Kathleen. It yeah, was the but other one. I mean, how many bio parents do you know that their kids tell them that? But it's different. I know it's different, but mm-hmm. it happens frequently. <laughs> yep. I hope to get Kathleen on our podcast, too, in the future. You want to talk about the wall incident? Yes, I am going to talk to her about the wall incident. Let me guess. You're going to say... Uh, Kathleen, did you see the writing on the wall? <laughs> no, I'm going to say, how'd you feel when that stepkid wrote, I hate you on the wall? <laughs> probably, I wrote it right up under it. Feelings mutual. <laughs> no, do not do that. <laughs> that is not nachoing for all you listeners. <laughs> all right. So let's get to listening. All right. But first, here's a word about the Nacho Kids Academy. There is a way to save your sanity and your relationship, and it's called the Nacho Kids Academy. In the Nacho Kids Academy, you will learn the skills and knowledge to properly nacho, techniques to handle stepfamily challenges, ways to improve your communication, and much, much more. Visit nachokidsacademy.com and sign up today to join other step parents who are seeing the life-changing benefits of nachoing. Again, that's nachokidsacademy.com. Today, we have Chris Bercher. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? Oh, I'm fantastic. Thank you for having me, Lori. Okay. So tell us a little bit about your family. You are not a stepdad. I am not. I have a, a wife who is a stepmom. And I have the, the most empathy and sympathy for her because I think stepmother of daughters is probably the worst job on earth. <laughs> and maybe I'm exaggerating a little bit and I've had a lot of really bad jobs. But um, yeah, I have it. I have the good end of the deal, I would think. Actually, you're right. The hardest relationship in a step family is the stepmom and a stepdaughter. I mean, it's just, it's, yeah. So how many kids do you have? (laughs) I have, so I have four and three of them were from my first wife and um, who is, who was remarried and those girls have a stepbrother and it's pretty cool. Uh, He actually takes care of our animals when we go to town. And then my wife and I have a, you know, a together child. So my four daughters, uh, 19, almost 18. 15 and five. All girls. Yeah. <laughs> I was meant to have all girls, though. It's just one of those things. <laughs> we laugh because David has four sons and I have a son. And wow. we joke. Yeah. We joke about how um, God knew not to give David girls. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I honestly think, like, I remember when I, I was the first one to have kids in my friend group and we had girls. And then my next best friend started having kids and they had two boys and they would come over. And I, and I would just, I, you know, I, I was already sort of hitting the anxiety parenting mode, but I would watch his boys play and it, it, it tripled my anxiety. And I, and I remember thinking as they would jump from the couch to like the steps and roll onto the kitchen table that this would never 
have occurred to my girls to do. <laughs> like, yes. where, does, where does the source, what's the source? And, you know, I was a boy, right? But I don't yeah. remember any of that. Like, I don't, that energy level, just like it. Yeah. I, I, yeah. God did not want me to have boys. He, he, he um, yeah, he gave me a pass. <laughs> yeah. I remember when David and I started dating, he, Jackson was three and he would take Jackson and throw him on the couch. Oh gosh, I was scared to death something was gonna happen to my baby. Right. I'm like, you're gonna break his neck, or he's like, Oh, you gotta toughen him up. And he tells Jackson all the time, You're lucky I came along, or uh, you'd be a pansy. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, maybe that's not such a bad thing. Maybe, you know, maybe he was more gentle by nature. And then that's part yeah. of it too. I mean, um, yeah, I think people talk about having girls. This is this is I gotta get this off my chest. So what okay. I get a lot around here is um, I, I, you know, I'm around, especially when my girls were younger and I would get this from so many people of you better get a shotgun. And I'm just <laughs> like, what? He's like, you got those three girls. You got to defend them from all those boys that are going to be coming in. And I get that. That's like a good natured sort of traditional line of thinking, but my thinking, you know, and I really got started getting angry about this and I never really said anything because I understand those traditions are so ingrained and it would have been, it's weird enough for people to see a dude with his daughters and it would be even weirder to say this, but now I'm saying it as loudly as I can, <laughs> that I want to raise my girls to defend themselves. Like this idea that women need a man to defend them. Just, I mean, I, I can't stand that thinking. And I, and I, you know, part of what I want to do by talking about being a dad of daughters is to say that I have no interest in that. I've always told my girls, I don't, there's things I don't want you to do, but uh, you know, that's it's your life. And mm -hmm. so I, what I hope for you is that you only do the things you want to do. Yes. If you want to do some things that I would wish you didn't, but you want to do those things, go for it. And you, you know, you can accept the consequences of your actions and that'd be an experience and you can do that. What I'm afraid of, yeah, is a, is a, is them being so weak that they would let a man take advantage of them in whatever way or, or anyone take advantage of them right. in whatever way. And so to think that I would be raising them to require defending like that. I don't know. It just, um, mm -hmm. yes, yeah, so I, I knew right away that I was going to be a little kooky, <laughs> a little <laughs> kooky. kooky, kooky dad, or, you know, a non-traditional. Um, Cause I certainly grew up like that with the traditional male and female roles. And, and maybe it's because, you know, I am a man that in, in the primary caregiver role, I mean, at that time I was actually a stay at home dad. And so there's a whole lot of gender issues that comes in there. I mean, a lot of men, looked at me like, oh, you know, you know, to use the, the pansy word, like you're a pansy, like you need to be out there working your job and making the money and to take care of your women. And then I'm just like, mm, I don't know, man, this is a pretty cool job. Yeah. Like Mr. <laughs> <You know>? Mom. <laughs> well, well, yeah. And that's another one of the traditional molds. Like, um, you know, and, this, and, and, and it goes both ways because I don't want any credit, right. I'm just parenting mm -hmm. just like women have done for a hundred thousand years, you know, I'm just doing, I'm not the babysitter, you know, and people would say this all the time. Oh, cute. Is it mommy stay out? Look, daddy's got the girls and it's mommy stay, you know, mommy's <laughs> night off or whatever. I'm like, no, <laughs> man, I'm their parent. I take care of them. Yes. Sometimes mom does. Sometimes I do. Sometimes we both do. Uh, but that's, you know, kind of, a, especially in the Southeast, that's a radical uh, model. And I don't deserve anything, any special attention for that. Then, so don't give it to me. Don't point out the fact that it's weird to you right. to see a, a, a dad with their kids out. 
you know, that's on you. That's not on me. I'm not the weirdo. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I, I get a lot of, I get it from both sides. You know, I get it from moms. I get it from dads that it's, um, it's peculiar. Yeah. Well, you know, when you talk about that, I'm sitting here thinking it's no different than how society expects a stepmom to jump into the motherly role. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a whole, you know, talk about there being no book. Like there's not really any, you know, I always say there's no, there's no stay at home dad groups out there are now there are groups for me to mirror, but you don't see it regularly in society. Like mm-hmm. I maybe I live in a town of about 10,000 people in a County of about 40,000. And I may know one or two other dads that I can relate to on this level. Um, and there's certainly no book for that, but for the stepmom, it's like, it's such a taboo subject. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know if that's a gender thing and what's different about that, because there's probably more stepmoms out there than there are, you know, primary caregiver dads or whatever, but man, no, everybody just, it's like the worst of Instagram and Snapchat. You know, you have to just pretend like everything is wonderful because if it's not, it, it reflects negatively on you as a person, you as a parent, you as a step parent. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, uh, yeah. Yeah. And see, that's one of the things with the Nacho Kids thing. We take a lot of heat with that because, yeah, right. yeah I mean, we've gotten death threats. It's crazy how people re- react to things. But here's my thing about the whole thing it's reality. They are not your kids. Yeah, right. Well, and, then, and this is the big struggle. And my wife always, the, what I hear her say more than anything is, I'm not their parent. You know, mm-hmm. it's like she pre-qualifies anything. I'm like, okay, what's going on? You know, we'll have some sort of conflict that's brewing, you know, with us and the kids or the kids are misbehaving or doing something. And she'll start it with, well, I'm not their parent. You mm-hmm. know? And, and, and I know I just, the weight of her saying that is so huge because what's in that simple statement is, you know, here's the way I would do it, but I can't do it like this. Mm-hmm. And then we're kind of different in our parenting, which I guess most, a lot of parents are. And so then there's, I know Chris would do it like this, which is different. So there's a conflict that I'm going to have. Mm-hmm. And, and then there's, there's, um, I've only been a parent for five years, like a straight parent, you know, mm-hmm. she didn't grow up with them. So you don't have that like instant love when you see them born, she didn't give birth to them. So there's a whole, that whole difference. Mm-hmm. And so by the, by the time she's coming at me, the next sentence is going to, we're, we're so far apart that it's going to be really difficult to have a conversation and make sure everybody gets their needs met. Yeah. It's just, I've never really, and I'm, I'm my former career was in ecology, which is sort of like the study of of everything that influences animals. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's a really big, comprehensive, complex science. And I look at this and I'm like, this is way more complex than anything I've ever had to deal with. It <laughs> is. Know? And a lot of it, I think for, for most women, I'm not going to say all women, we have those motherly instincts and we want to help and we want to make your kids be the best they can be. But that's not our responsibility. And then we have the conflict of, I think you should do this, but I'm not their parent. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a tough reality. I joke, but it's true that sometimes you have to have a split personality. And your <laughs> wife probably has feels that way because with your older daughters, she's not their mom, but with her daughter, she is. So yep. it's like you have to kick into different roles at different times. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and it's neat to watch her do it because what I, I think at the end of the day, well, and I always say this. Anyway, is whatever you do as a parent or step parent is right, you know, unless you're beating them or 
you know, I mean, there's some things that are obviously wrong, but when you're actually trying to do something good. And so that's what I tell her is like, well, you know, you have to tell me how you feel. So understand where you're coming from. And then we're going to make some sort of compromise about what we're actually going to do. But what I try to tell her is whatever that is, it may not be what I want. It may not be what you want, but it's going to be right. Mm-hmm. You know, because we've put this effort into it where I think, and, and not to speak for her and not, not to say that this is wrong, but she is definitely, and maybe it's the instinct that you're talking about. She's definitely more tied to what she thinks is the correct thing to do. Whereas I'm more like, well, there's a whole lot of different things we could do that are probably going to be fine in this situation. What do we, what do we want? You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, you're, because, you're more open to different ideas. Yeah. Because I just simply my fundamental belief in parenting is that, you know, we're here to sort of, you know, tap them back in line when they get out of the way, but I'm not in any way trying to control or build or shape or like, you know, (laughs) that they're their own person, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm just helping. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm not going to make them into something I want them to be. You know, I'm not going to, you know, relive vicariously my childhood through my kids, or I'm not going to decide that they need to do this career path. You know, that's, I'm I'm way more willing to let the world, the universe, uh, parent with me, <laughs> which is a freeing. You know, some people might look at that and say, "Oh, you're just, you know, lazy. <laughs> you're just copping out." But at the same time, I'm just I'm recognizing something I think is true. Yeah, that they're their own person. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I was just going to say we get attached to these things that we think are are correct, right? When really. We don't know. We weren't a parent until the baby came out. You know, it's not like we come into this experts. We're all figuring it out as we go along. And I think that's a big thing for step parents, especially is there's this societal impression that we're supposed to know everything, mm-hmm. you know, especially with non parents. If you're a non parent and you look at a parent, it's like, look, you made a choice. You did this. You do it. Shut up and leave me out of it and just parent <laughs> your kids. You know, I, that really annoys me. But at the same time, I get it. But we, you know, we're doing something that we have no idea about. It's like starting any new job, you know, you have to figure it out as you go along. But, I, but yeah, I just think my wife is more attached to what she thinks is going to be the right thing to do. And, I, and I'm less so. Mm-hmm. And how long have y'all been married? It'll be six years in okay. next month. Yeah. And how long did y'all date before you got married? Two or three years. And it's, that's probably really kind of an interesting story because I had actually had a vasectomy. And uh, we had my wife, our biggest, she's, and she's nine years younger than me. And, you know, we, we fell in love and that was obvious. And when you're dating, you know, I protected my kids from this. They didn't know. And so it was this weird thing of levels of seriousness, like, mm-hmm. okay, we're serious enough for I'm going to introduce you to my kids. But before I do that, we need to have the, you know, where's this going? Mm-hmm. And so it, it turned into, well, you know, her interests and my interests really were to be married. You know, this is, this is going to, you're going to meet my kids, then we better be serious about getting married. And then hers was, well, I want a kid. <laughs> and for me, I had already sort of closed that door. I had three. It was overwhelming. I don't know. I was hoping I was expecting to meet someone that was my age who didn't want kids. And that's not the way it worked out. And so we went back and forth as I sort of wrestled with that and whether that was even possible. <laughs> you know, I didn't understand that you can reverse a vasectomy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so we had some struggles back and forth, breaking up. I mean, it was terrible. And then I just sort of realized that the pain I was in when we weren't together was probably an indicator. <laughs> you know? Oh, that's so and, sweet, though. Well, I mean, I think it was like that for both of us because, I, you know, 
I was only two or three years divorced from a you know pretty sh- shocking um, divorce, so I was really scared to death about getting married again. Um, and then they, another kid on top of it. Uh, but we, yeah, we resolved those issues. And the, the funny, the reason I'm telling those stories, we, I had the procedure done just a couple months before we got married with the understanding that, you know, the probability isn't great, right? right. Reversing a vasectomy is not a guarantee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we sort of had it in mind that we had at least a year before she even had a chance of getting pregnant. Well, she was, you know, morning sick on her honeymoon. <laughs> Oh, and so when I, you ask me how long we've been married, all I have to do is think about how old my daughter, my daughter yes. is. <laughs> because, yeah. Wow. Crazy. So that reversal worked pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I always wanted. I always said I should re- contact the doctor and be like, "You need to publish a paper about me or something." <laughs> <Because> <laughs> that was, uh, yeah, works better than expected. You know, with David having four kids, I didn't want another one. With that scenario, I think if I would have ended up with somebody that had one kid mm-hmm. or two, then I would have probably wanted another one, but I didn't want to drive a bus. I mean, and five <laughs> kids is a lot of kids. Yeah, five five is a lot. <laughs> yeah. And David didn't really want to start over. You know, his kids were nine, yeah. nine, 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 and 10 or whatever. And so he's like, I don't want a baby. And I'm like, but I want another baby. But then the reality of it is, again, I didn't want us to have six kids. And in hindsight, I think that it was the best decision because I see what an hour's kid does to the other kids sometimes. Mm -hmm. For instance, with my son, I don't think that he would have taken it well. He would have maybe felt left out because oh, here's my mom and she's got a baby with David and they're one happy family and my dad's not here. You know, it causes a lot of mental challenges with discomfort. Yeah. With the kids and a friend of mine, she had an hours kid and we had talked about it and she, she was saying the same thing that it's a different kind of dynamic with her and the, her husband's kid versus her kids prior and his kids prior and she said that she, in hindsight, she doesn't know if she would have done it again. Well, yeah, and that's that's that was my whole reasoning for not wanting to have another kid is what mm-hmm. it would do to my kids, you know, because once I got divorced, I realized, okay, this is my whole reason for existence now, <laughs> you know, is I've got to take care of these kids in a, in a new and different way uh, because now I, and, and this is on me and I see now that this was sort of not necessarily correct, but I had a lot of guilt. You know, now I have kids that I never intended them to be a part of the divorced family, but now they are. And so Mm -hmm. I was admittedly sort of probably trying to compensate for that in the way that I parented them. And I sort of shifted my efforts into being even more uh, about the kids and less about me. And so to add, yeah, to add an hour's kid or even a stepmom to that, I had a hard time with because of exactly what you're saying. It's going to change their whole dynamic. And I remember the, the worst day of my life or the worst. The most guilt I felt over this whole thing was the day that I told we told the kids that she was pregnant. And my second daughter, who is, have you seen the movie Bridge to Terabithia? It's about this girl who lives in this uh, fantasy forest and it's just beautiful. And she's, you know, free spirit and she's creative and she develops this whole make-believe world and she brings this boy into it. And it's, it's awesome. It's a great book, great story. And I've always said that my second daughter lives in Terabithia. I mean, she mm-hmm. she is so in, in touch with 
her. But she would also like when she's upset, it's four hours of screaming in her room. Right. Mm -hmm. And so when I told her about the baby, she like I'd never seen. She had the worst fit of her life that lasted multiple days with, you know, writing, I hate Kathleen on the wall. And I mean, just like, and I was convinced in that moment that I had ruined everything that I had on that, that side of the equation, right. <laughs> on mm-hmm. my, my first family side of the equation, that that's a terrible feeling and it's a real risk, but now six, five years into it, she's the closest with um, my youngest daughter and they have a, they, she figured it out. <laughs> Yeah. So, so let me ask you this. When, when y'all first started dating, obviously the dynamics were your kids probably liked her. Things were good. Um, no. No, really? <laughs> no, but, but what's the second part of your question? <laughs> well, that kind of messes up the second part of my question. <laughs> so they didn't like her straight off the bat? No, think about it. I mean, I was the mom, right? And I think yeah. when a, kids are divorced, they want their parents to get back together, right? That's mm-hmm. what they want first. They for some time they they live with that fantasy. And Eva, my second daughter that had the big fit about this, she has told me that since then. That she was still in that mode of hoping that her mom and I would get back together. And so the baby like made that that much less likely to happen. Mm-hmm. And I think the parent that they're around the most that they feel the most sort of nurturing connection with is is the one they don't want to lose to someone else. And in their case, you know, another man moved into my bed, you know, immediately after I left the house. And so they already lost their mom in, in that sort of way. Right. So they had ex- mm-hmm. right when all this was the worst, they also had to deal with that. And so that then that it would happen to me uh, upset them even more. And so they I think they projected that onto Kathleen. Right. She represented right. their loss of me. And so right. they were they were they were polite and they were nice. And, it's still to this day, like only in the last few months have they even thought about saying I love you or to her, like, but it, and it's still in a casual, like, as we're all leaving, you know, we might say I love you and she'll, they'll be like, I love you guys, mm-hmm. you know, and no hugs or, you know, there's, it's still a very slow process. <laughs> it is. Now, the reason I asked you that is because most of the time when the dating process is happening, you know, the kids are fine. They are fine with the stepmom or the stepdad that's, mm-hmm. you know, just not the step parent yet. And then when they realize that things are getting serious or the marriage happens is when things turn to crap. Yeah, or, I, can see, I can see that. Yeah. Or, or things will be fine the first year or two of marriage and then things turn to crap. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no, I would say, I guess I got a better end of the deal. Then. <laughs> yeah. I would rather it be like better later. <laughs> Exactly. Because we had one of David's kids was so excited about us getting married. And wow. year two, he was the ringleader for burn Lori at the stake. Wow. Get, get Lori and her kid out of the house. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. And well, I wonder if I wonder if it's age related. Like, how old were they then? Well, let's see. When we got married, we got married in 2009. So the triplets were nine and Avery had just turned 11. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. but I mean, you know. They were excited about it in the beginning, especially this one. But I thought he didn't like me trying to parent him, which he didn't. But he said (laughs) the straw that broke the camel's back was when he told me something that my son did and my son said he didn't. And I believed my son. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, God, that's hard. Yeah. yeah. 
See, we're lucky because the ages are so different. I mean, the big sisters, you know, are, oh, are yeah. big sisters. They're not, they're not peers. <laughs> right, right. And see, our um, kids were five years apart. Yeah. And there, and there, we have some of that, like you favor this person. But to, 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 as far as favoritism goes, the most conflict I've ever had is with my wife. You know, she early on accused me uh, when my youngest was, you know, less than a year old accused me of not loving her as much um, as the older kids. Mm-hmm. And that, that hurt. <laughs> and, you know, and I'll never really know. I don't feel like it's true, obviously, but maybe in some ways my behavior reflected that or, or whatever. All I know is I don't hear that anymore. <laughs> so I'm hoping, but, you know, and I tell, we go to marriage counselor every once in a while and I'm, I do therapy because I like it. Mm-hmm. And I, it always comes up where I'm sort of like, you know, I'm in the middle of all of these relationships, you know, with six people. And I, I don't know if it's because I put myself in the middle or because I'm male or because I'm the dad or what, I don't know. Mm-hmm. And I have to manage the flow of energy between every possible pairwise combination of those people. And that's, you know, a lot of pathways, Yes, <laughs> you know, and 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 I feel like I'm the moderator of that, right? Like I have to be aware of what's going on and then modify sort of how everybody operates either myself or, you know, by talking to them to make sure that that flow is comfortable as comfortable as possible for everybody. You know, it's like, it's like being a part of a living organism and I'm like the the CPU or like the, you know, the Mm -hmm. brain. (laughs) And I know that's like egotistical because I actually don't control how people feel and any of that stuff, but that's my, uh, maybe that's just the primary caregiver um, nurturing part of me, but that's what I want to do. (laughs) Yeah. No, David often talks about how he, Felt like he he was in a vice. Mm. Me pushing on one side, the kids yeah. pushing on one side, his parents and sister pushing mm. on one side, and he couldn't make anybody happy. So he decided yeah. to make everybody mad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I don't think I'm lucky because I realized I can't make anybody happy, and that also assumes that I can't make anybody mad either. But I I sure can do that pretty well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's more yeah, it's more about not making people mad, I guess. You know, the comment about your wife saying that she didn't think that you loved your hours daughter as much as your older kids, that's very common. Hmm. It's very, very common. But a lot of it's because the bio dad has guilty parent syndrome. Mm -hmm. So he only has his kids 50% of the time. He's not going to discipline them because he doesn't want them to want to go live with mom a lot of times that's the reason. Ooh, I definitely struggle, but I, I, I make a really, you know, I'm aware of it and I try to fight against it, you know? Mm-hmm. And one of the things I'll say that, you know, as the shining star of step parenting, the sort of, the sort of um, most beautiful result of this all happening. Um, and, you know, I don't want to be married to my ex-wife anymore, but the way that that divorce went down was, was terrible. And it, I don't wish that on anybody. And so, but you know, it got and it led me to Kathleen and all that stuff is great. But the, probably better than any of it is the fact that Kathleen has helped me be a better parent mm-hmm. because I no longer have that sort of codependent thing with my first wife where we just sort of passively were experiencing parenting. Kathleen's a much more active parent, and you know, she if all goes well, she'll homeschool um, our youngest, and 
I don't know. She's just, she's amazing. And so I've learned how to be a better parent from her. Now, the way that happened initially was me feeling like she was saying, you're a terrible dad. Yes. <laughs> I can't believe you would do that. And, and because of what you just said, I did have the guilt. I would under discipline the kids because, and be afraid that they were going to pick mom over me and, or, or whatever. And so, yeah. And, but she pointed that out and first it was rough. And then she realized, okay, I need to be a little more gentle mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. with him. And I said, okay, I need to be a little more open-minded. And we navigated the waters. And in the end, I'm so grateful that my, especially my oldest, who just is now for the first time away at college and having a sort of a difficult time. If I had stayed divorced and continued to guilt parent her, that would be so much worse. Yes. Yes. <laughs> it is right now. That is so true. Yeah, so there's a like there's a beauty to to divorce and 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 step parenting and you know I see the value. It's like my wife and I keep saying, you know, we we had to jump into an abyss, right? We didn't know what step parenting was going to be like, what it, I have me having another baby was going to be like, what us getting married was going to be like. We had to, it was unknown. We had to jump into this pit that we didn't know where the bottom was, and right. um, but it was so. You know, but everybody says you'll be okay. You know, you're going to mm-hmm. live, right? You'll land safely, uh, but you have to face that fear to get to the other side. And now that I'm sort of at the other side, at least to a big degree, yeah, it was it was so amazing. And and I appreciate you having me on because I, I've never said that out loud. I've never really realized that uh, to another person before, and that feels really good. I appreciate it. Good. One thing you mentioned was that when. Kathleen would tell you something, you took it or you heard you're a crappy parent. Mm-hmm. How, or do you even know, how did she change that wording or her tone or whatever to where you didn't feel that way when she came to you with those things? Yeah, that is an awesome question because 99% of my conflict with her is exactly what you just said, mm-hmm. her wording, her wording and her tone, right? And so mm-hmm. she's... And she's she's a self-described sort of Aspergery. You know, she thinks she may kind of be on the spectrum. And she is very literal. She doesn't understand, like especially the Southern thing. She just doesn't understand why what they said they wanted to have lunch. And I'm like, no, they don't really want to have lunch. They just said that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just something they say to each them, other. Yeah, when you pass somebody and say, How are you doing? They don't really care and they don't really want to know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. And mm-hmm. so it's it's that that whole thing has been kind of a learning process, but it's I guess we're just really good at compromising. She's still quite literal and quite abrupt and quite blunt, but she understands now that I can take that the wrong way. And there was a time where it was whose fault is it? You know, am I going to change and like mm-hmm. stop being offended when I, or, or, you know, affected when I feel like you're beating me up or are you going to stop, you know, using words like this to beat me up? And I don't know that either of us did anything consciously, but we just got so tired of having that same thing come up time and time again, where my feelings get hurt and, and you know, she's just trying to communicate. Mm-hmm. But over time, I think she's relaxed a little bit and is, is appreciative that I take things personally and I've also learned through a lot of work that, you know, it's not always about me. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I don't know who had to do more work or who had to bend more, uh, but we still have that problem. But I can only speak for me, have learned to go take a deep breath and just say, okay, I'm not going to have this reaction. Mm-hmm. I'm going to assume that she meant what she said, because that's what she told me. Mm-hmm. And it's not about me. And so now we can move forward in the conversation. Yes. And 
being a stepmom and having that mentality of how you let things affect you is so important because stepmoms can take things so personally, like your daughter writing, I hate Kathleen on the wall. Oh man. She can take that personally, but it wouldn't have mattered if Kathleen was the princess of somewhere that your kids (laughs) would have had that same reaction. Yeah. Right. It's not personal, but it's so hard to not take it personally because I mean, it literally says, I hate Kathleen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. How else else can you interpret that? (laughs) Yeah. So part of what we do with our Nacho Kids Academy is to teach people to think differently and to realize they've got to stop trying to control things they can't control and didn't have control of in the first place, (laughs) but to control their reaction. That is, that is so huge. Cause I think for so many different reasons, we're both still, you know, processing that lesson, Mm -hmm. right? That is so big and transcends so far beyond just parenting or step parenting. Right. Yes. That, um, yeah, you can't control what happens. You can only control what happened, your reaction to it. And the control is an illusion in the first place. Yes, it is (laughs) like we're magicians. Yeah, yeah, but, but you know, for, for her, and that this may make it harder and easier for her as a step parent. And again, I'm, I'm sort of projecting, but I think I know her pretty well. You know, she came her her life up until me, she was in control of. Mm-hmm. Right. She had set her life up to the point where it, you know, she was in charge mm-hmm. and she had eliminated things she couldn't control and just didn't even fool with them. Mm-hmm. But um, she her life was very nice and neat. You know, just like the just like a living room where everything is in its place, um, which is not you know what you get when you have four kids. <laughs> and oh, so, yeah. and so uh, for her, the biggest challenge I think has been you know redefining her control. And and truthfully, she's still dealing with that at work. Like outside her step parenting life, she's she's figured it out in the step parenting life, but she ha- really hasn't um, translated that out into her work. Mm-hmm. And um, I have hopes. You know, I, I'm really excited about our future because I think. If she can do what she's done in the home with her work, then she'll sort of like have mastered life. You know? Yes. <laughs> and, you know, we often tell people you can't care more than the bio parent. So, for instance, mm-hmm. if you didn't care if your kids made C's, but Kathleen expected them to make mm-hmm. A's. Right. There's no point. She's fighting <laughs> a losing battle. Well, and that's it. Yeah. I think she's learned that. That's yeah. Interesting. And I've learned, I learned to apply a lot of this into work because I remember one time I was telling my boss that there was an issue, a quality issue with some product. And he said, that's not your job. Mm. And I'm like, excuse me. <laughs> and it bothered me. But then I said, you know what? That's not my job. And used to companies and bosses appreciated you going above and beyond. Yeah, right. Nowadays, no. For the most part, they want you to stay in your role. Mm -hmm. Don't try to go outside of that role because they don't want to deal with it. They want to stay in their role. Now, if you have a boss that's wanting you to grow and they want to grow and they're looking at what's best for the company versus this is my job and I can just wait till retirement and I'm out. Yeah. Then, you know, it kind of changes that mentality, but it was hard for me to not care. And a lot of people will say, How do you not care? Mm -hmm. You realize it does you no good. And it's not that you don't care, it's you just realize that it's not fruitful. It's almost detrimental to your well being to care (laughs) 
more than whoever the hierarchy is. No, it's true. I mean, especially in the workplace, because you do have the uh, freedom to stop caring, mm-hmm. you know, if, if you, if you physically can, I mean, I guess mm-hmm. it's hard. It's hard not to, if you just, if you have that kind of a work ethic, it, it's hard to um, compartmentalize it and say, well, I'm not going to care about this. Right. And it is hard. And I don't know any other word to say besides not care. It's more of not being consumed with it, maybe. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, The same thing with my stepkids. It's not that I didn't care about them, but I realized that my caring more than their bio parents did about something did not matter at all. And it only caused conflict. Yeah. Yeah. But letting go is, but I, you know, I think that's a great metaphor for life in general, you know, for everybody way past parenting, way past work. I mean, what we choose and the Buddhists, the Buddhists would say, you know, what we're attached to, like, why, why would, why are you, or is somebody attached to your parent, your kids making straight A's? If -hmm. you really sit down and think about what that means, it's completely illogical because the, the assumption is the same old BS that we were fed as kids, you know, well, if you make straight A's, you get into a good college and if you get into a good college then you get a good job. And if you get a good job, then you get good money. If you get good money, then you're happy. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That really never has ever worked out. <laughs> yes. So why would you go all the way back and say, you're getting so worked up about these grades, but it, if you, if you believe what I just said, then, you know, it's not going to have the effect that you want anyway. So maybe you can relax on that. And then you relax on that and you realize, oh, I'm less stressed, you know, okay, I don't have to deal with this. Oh, now that buys me some freedom. I don't have to spend all my energy doing this, but because we're attached and we don't, you know, understand that we do it it automatically. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then that's sort of, yeah, that's sort of kind of what my podcast is about, you know, like how do we, how do we live better lives by uh, picking our battles? Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about your podcast. What's the name of it and what's it about and all that good stuff. Yeah, uh, well, so it's called knowledge plus experience equals wisdom. And, the, you know, I actually use the mathematical symbols, but it's easier to find just www.chrisbircher.com. Okay. And I, I, you know, I talk about stuff like stuff like this, like, like being, you know, at the top level, it would sort of be in quotes, being a better person or being enlightened or learning more. Or why am I here? Or what's the purpose of life? Those, those types of philosophical, I, I don't even know, questions. But what mm-hmm. I'm focused on right now, again, and, and, and certainly parenting is an awesome example, but as a general conflict of the struggle that a lot of people seem to be in, I'm me for sure, between the person that we are and the person that we feel like we should be. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of like what we're talking about. Like, we feel like we should be parents that whose kids get straight A's. And right. if we're not, then we feel bad. But then ultimately, we don't really care. Like if you think about it, it's like, oh, I don't, I don't really care if it makes straight A's or not. But you buy into this line of thinking. And if you and if you spend enough time thinking about that, you realize that that's because like most of what you believe is because of what your parents believe or mm-hmm. what your caregivers believed or what your you know community believed when you were a kid. And that's where you learn stuff. Um, and, and I think because I have 18, 19, 15 year old kids who are getting ready to go through that critical point in your life where you flee the nest and you ask questions like, who am I and what do I want to do with my life? Or what do I want to major in in college? Seeing them do that has rekindled that in me. Mm-hmm. And, I, and so and then I noticed that a lot of people, I'm almost 50, a lot of people around midlife kind of go through the same thing. <laughs> like, why am I doing this job? I don't like this. What? Why am I here? Why am I married to this person? Yes. And it's the same sort of struggle. And I think as I've been in therapy for 10 years and I was a scientist in my previous career. So I combined those two 
interests into what's, you know, what's going on <laughs> with mm-hmm. that. And, and that, and that's what the podcast is about. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> well, but, yeah, it is. <laughs> I like it. Thank you. Yeah. Cause you know, a lot of times, and I think it is the older you get, you're like, wait a minute, why am I doing this? It doesn't fulfill me. It doesn't mm-hmm. make me happy. I'm just working for a paycheck. Totally. And granted, you know, money's very important, but maybe you could cut some of your expenses and find a job that makes you happy. Oh man. And, and, and we, and so many of us, just like the parenting, it's like, we don't feel like we have permission to do that because our parents taught us that that was not a good idea. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, bless their hearts. They, they meant well, bless <laughs> but, <their hearts. laughs> but, but well, you know, our, my, my parents are in their eighties. So they were born in the thirties. Their dream was their parents' dream who experienced the great depression and world war II. So mm-hmm. if you think about that, it kind of made sense in the fifties to teach your kids these things, but you know, right. that was, that was a long time ago and we're in a different place now, but unfortunately there's this, you know, we inherit these ideas from multiple generations back and they're just sort of stuck. And so it's become sort of my mission to, to die having figured this out, at least to a bigger <laughs> degree, you know, on my deathbed, I want to kind of be able to go, I, yeah, I, I dealt with that. And, 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 and then in turn, I want to help other people do that. Like my, my oldest daughter struggling with college, I want to help her in a real way. And, and, and one of the, the most helpful ways I found is to teach her that, you know, you have that she has a lot of beliefs that she's inherited from, you know, my grandparents mm-hmm. basically, and that it's okay to question those. And it's okay for her to say, I think I just want to like sit by the edge of the stream and gaze at my navel. And uh, I don't really want to go to college. <laughs> and, and, and I, and, and she has a dad who would be like, do it. <laughs> and, and so if, yeah. Sit by a stream and gaze at your navel. <laughs> oh, I love I mean, it. it. Well, that's sort of like my dream. And then, and then go to the mailbox every week and there's a paycheck. Because <laughs> you're right. I mean, the research shows we have to make as a household family of like three and a half or whatever, we have to make sixty to $70,000 a year in the U.S. to not have real problems, you know, like mm-hmm. hunger or, you know, nutrition, right. health care. And so, yeah, you've got to at least do that. But I think the American dream and what we're, what our kids are aiming for is, you know, doctors and lawyers and internet influencers, and they got to make millions of dollars or they're not going to be happy. Mm-hmm. And, and, and I think the data show that when people get that million dollars, they're not happy. No. So maybe shoot no. for 60 grand and <laughs> yeah. do a little bit of, have a little fun. In many ways, I think the millennials have it figured out. Like we look at them and go, oh God, you guys are. You guys are idiots. You're, you know, you're throwing your lives away. You're not investing money. You're having too much fun, blah, blah. But I'm like, you know, I, I don't think our model was that great. Maybe theirs is better. Maybe it's not. Maybe but there's I mean, a balance. It's funny. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest fear I think uh, people have, or I, you know, the worst thing that I can think of besides some, you know, terrible like accident or dying. Yeah. So, I mean, we're so concerned that we're going to end up homeless in the street. We're so afraid that uh, we're not going to get whatever it is, some bare minimum existence. And, and I, you know, I know that happens and it's terrible. And I really can't imagine a worse, it probably worse than being a stepmom is, you know, end up ignored by society as a homeless person in the street. That's a terrible thing, mm-hmm. but, but it doesn't happen to most people. We don't, we don't fall that far. We're actually very capable of taking care of ourselves and doing things. If we're lucky enough to have 
the opportunity to do that. And that's a bigger problem that we need to solve. But my, my point is that, you know, our, it's our fear of this catastrophic event that's really kind of unlikely that is why we get out of bed every day. What mm-hmm. if we could wait? What if we could flip that motivation to not something of fear or negativity, but of something of you know positivity? How am I going to make my daughter's life better today? How am I going to help my wife more today? How am I going to make today better than yesterday? And and that's just that's something that we all can do. It's not easy, but it but it's simple. Yes. So, what would you say your your daughter is struggling with most with college? Well, you know, leaving the proverbial nest. I mean, she's, you know, to me, I know exactly what she's going through because I did, you know, you go from all of the comforts and, 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 and so you're, you know, I envision a human being is like an egg, right? Outside of our body, there's this invisible barrier we call our comfort zone. And as we get close to that comfort zone by doing new and different things, we get up to the edge, we retreat because we're mm-hmm. afraid. And so part, part of life, some people choose a life where you, Go to closer to the center of your comfort zone as possible because everything's predictable. Everything is the same. It's comfortable. You know what it's going to be. That was her life, right? She watched her Netflix. She hung out with her friends. She went to her job and she came home and she had everything taken care of. Her bed was made. There was no variability in her life. It was incredibly safe because it was predictable. Now she's in an environment where she doesn't have those friends. She doesn't have any of that support. I mean, maybe she's got Netflix mm-hmm. <laughs> still, mm-hmm. but but it's a new place. It's new roommates, new classes, plus the weight of the world on her shoulders of you have to achieve. You have to get straight A's because, you know, she's she's on this American dream path. So it's two things. You know, she's she's pushing the edge of her comfort zone because she's doing something new, which is really an awesome thing that you'll learn in time that is healthy and positive and you jump into the abyss and, and you learn to be feel safer about that. But the other mm-hmm. thing is, you know, she's, she's gotten on a path that she's not sure she belongs on. I mean, I think subconsciously she knows she's, she's in the process of subscribing to someone else's dream. Mm-hmm. Maybe that dream is for her, but she doesn't really know yet. And so right. there's this cognitive dissonance. There's this struggle of, I don't know. And so this is what she says. I don't know what I want to do. And I'm like, well, of course you don't know what you want to do. Nobody in college knows what you want to do. The only people in college that know what they want to do are the ones whose parents told them they're going to be a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. They don't really know either. They just, right. you know, they just bought the bought into the whole thing. They've been brainwashed. You know, yeah. my daughter is not brainwashed. Her her discomfort is because she thinks for herself and she knows something is wrong. But there's no system set up to like help her through that. But right. thank goodness she has she has me. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's that's and so to me, this is like win it or, or lose it, this is my chance to, to succeed as a parent. You know, if I can mm-hmm. help her navigate this dissonance and release the weight of the world and the American dream, pushing her through this system, take a breath and just experience it for herself and find her gut, you know, and, but all that noise is complicating the process. But if I can help her do that, then, you know, I've, I win parent of the year. <laughs> Yes, definitely. <laughs> not, not that I care, but I mean, yeah, that that's that's the that's a terrible time. But that's where she is, and you know, she has that struggle, and it is real. And I and I think I understand why. Don't remember the percentage, but it is a very small percentage of people that actually work in the field that they went to college for. <laughs> oh yeah, it's tiny. Yeah. yeah, because and I used to say, well, so check this out. My this is my just just newest. I used to say. Because I heard somebody else say it, 
because <laughs> I'm that person, right? I, I went to school to be a philosophy major. My dad talked me into getting a job that would actually, you know, or have a major that would actually get me a job. So I changed my major, went all the way through, became a PhD doctor, taught school and went, this sucks. I quit. Mm-hmm. So whatever. And then, but then I look back and I was a philosophy major. And I used to say, and people have said, why would you let an 18 year old kid decide what you're going to do for the rest of your life? Right. And up until, well, and up until about a week ago, I believed that. Mm-hmm. Right. I said, no wonder. Yeah. And I, then I've realized through a lot of work and therapy and stuff that my 18 year old self actually did know because I was lucky before I had that conversation with my dad, there was no pressure. I lived in this little Terabithia bubble where I didn't hear the outside world. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel the pressure. I didn't want to go to college, but I figured if I was there, I was to do something I liked. And what did I like? I like philosophy. Okay, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And in the end, I, you know, I don't regret any of the things I've done. But in the end, looking back, that is what I wanted to do. And so I've totally changed on that. I think 18-year-old people, if they can chill out enough and relax enough and reduce the pressure of their parents and the outside world trying to make them be somebody that they should be, mm-hmm. then they actually know what they want. But the problem is not knowing what you want. It's getting rid of all that noise and, and you know, finding the peace and quiet to where you can actually feel what that is. <laughs> yeah. I'm sitting here thinking, and I'm like, I don't know if my 18-year-old self would have known because I thought I wanted to do accounting. And I realized that the only thing I really liked about it was writing with mechanical pencils in those little blocks in the ledger. <laughs> but see, I would argue that you would have figured that out in the process if you did have the space and the freedom and right. know, the, the, the clarity of mind, which is no easy feat. I mean, yeah, yeah. but, but 12,000 years ago, we raised, you know, people didn't, or, you know, even 400, 200 years ago, we didn't have this problem. Mm-hmm. So we didn't have cell phones 30 years ago. We were fine. You know, an 18 year old kid in 1500, well, maybe they didn't have a choice with what they were going to do. I don't know. It's hard to think. But that's why <laughs> I work in the field, it. little Johnny. Yeah, right. I mean, so maybe they didn't have a, but yeah, this, 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 well, it's kind of like, I don't know how much time we have, but as a stay at home dad, I, and as a former scientist, I have dealt with gender issues my whole life, probably just because I've been aware of them. I, I, you know, I always sympathized with my mom who was a stay at home mom. And I thought my dad was an asshole because all he did was work. You know, so I've always had this, these models, right. Which, which have changed recently. My wife works Mm -hmm. and, and makes way more money than me. And so my role is different. And I, you know, I drive the kids to school or whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, And that didn't happen like 50 years ago, 30 years ago, even. And so, and what, in, in the flip side of that, and so I've got whatever pressures on me. It's fine. My life is fine. It's, it's actually freaking great. Mm-hmm. I suffer from too much family, right? I have too much family and I wish I had, sometimes I wish I had a job because actually going to work is a lot easier than staying home with three kids that are in Oh, diapers. yes. So, but what she struggles with is her role. It's So women are also going through, well, and it's more obvious. Everybody knows women are struggling with how do I be the power CEO and the awesome mom? I mean, mm-hmm. to me, that's that's might be almost as bad as step parenting. How do you be both of those things? Well, you don't, right? <laughs> you know, that's like me. I was like, there's no way I'm going to be the successful academic researcher that I want to be and be able to meet the demands of this job uh, that are going to, you know, justify my paycheck. I can't do that 
and take care of the kids when at the time, you know, my first wife was also a professional making more money than me. Mm-hmm. Her job comes first. So I'm going to have to call in sick. I'm going to have to miss, you know, the yeah. work meeting. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to fail. So I, instead of let this like die by a thousand cuts, <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and bail out and I just work at home. I mean, at the time, my salary just barely paid for daycare for three kids. Oh, I'm sure. Mo- and most of the time, one of them was sick anyway. Mm-hmm. So I had to stay home with one. Yeah. So it was just like, that's stupid. <laughs> and then you feel bad for missing work because you're afraid you're going to get fired. Oh, I would have gotten your fired. Kid. I, yeah. I was already, the writing was on the wall. Yeah, there was no way. I mean, because mm-hmm. at the beginning of your career like that, you got to work 50, 60 hours a week. And I was lucky to get 20. Um, mm-hmm. and, 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 and so this gender reversal thing is difficult for both sides. And I don't think people talk about the men's side as much, but we also don't illuminate the idea that there's so much pressure on my wife and, and maybe you to be the best, you know, her job that she can be and simultaneously the best mom. And I just don't think that's ever been the case before. Mm-hmm. Like, why would you expect someone to be able to excel at those two things right. at the same time? It's asinine. And that yeah. goes to the 40 hour work week. And like, yeah, I mean, there's so many things wrong about, which is what's cool about COVID, right? Because it's, uh, it shows us that we can actually work at home, mm-hmm. which for some moms is worse. Yes. Because now you've got your kids <laughs> at home too. And they're trying to homeschool. Um, but if you had your kids in school and worked at home, I understand some people don't like that model. But for me, that's like heaven. Because mm-hmm, <laughs> then I can get all my work done. Yeah, because you can go throw a load of clothes in the laundry while you take a break, a bathroom break or something. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. I, I, I've always worked better into that model. But I understand that it's like homes, like no, no school COVID. Two of my kids are great. They actually got jobs. You know, they're like, I can get my work done in two hours a week. I'm going to get a job. Wow. You know, now that since we don't have to go to school, oh, I'm so proud. And I'm like, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. That's the awesomest thing I've ever heard a 17 year old say. Mm-hmm. But one of them was struggling. She didn't do well. She couldn't figure it. She couldn't do the assignments. She couldn't motivate herself to work. She missed the social interaction. So I get it. But my, my point is the construct of a 40 hour week is the same thing we've been talking about. This is the way it's always been done. This is what you have to do. This is the only way it works. There's only mm-hmm. one choice. And now with COVID, we're actually seeing, wait, because I, I begged, I had a pretty decent job um, when I, in the middle there, when I was single and divorced, I worked for the government for a little while. And that job was awesome, except for the fact that I had about two hours of work to do every week, but they made me be in the office for 40. Yes. And so I, and so I begged them and other people did it, but they wouldn't let me do it. I begged them, like, can I please work at home? Mm-hmm. You know, just, just getting the kids on and off the bus, because I, usually I picked them up, yep. was a nightmare of my day. And they're like, why are you, why are you leaving the building at three 30, Chris? Oh, it's only three 30. What are you doing? It's not four o'clock. Can't leave yet. It's like, yeah, well, I'm sneaking out to go pick up my kids from school because you won't. But anyway, I begged yeah. them now, now that office closed, you know, during COVID and everybody worked at home and they're not going back to work. And I'm like, I told you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We would have been just thing. fine. Yes. Yeah. The um, boss was, well, I can't monitor you when you're at home working. Well, you don't monitor us now. You know, my coworkers playing on Facebook seven hours out of the day. <laughs> yeah, yeah and, right. uh, and she's over there reading novels. I mean, she and honestly, getting her and getting her work done. Yes, yes. So they put that in your pipe and smoke it. But yeah, it's that it's this change thing. It's just this, like you know, it, yeah. We're in the process, I think, of um, of understanding that traditional ways of doing things, be it parenting, 
or work maybe a little outdated. Yes. <laughs> and that's my, and that's my biggest sort of what my podcast is really about is you you we see problems but we don't do anything about them. Mm-hmm. So we just complain about them. Yeah, so let's change them. Mm-hmm. Well, I want to get back to one thing before we wrap up. What would you say was the hardest part of adding an hours kid to your blend? Jeez. I mean, I, my mindset, you know, my, my, just the same kind of stuff we're talking about my attachment to my ability to predict the future. Mm-hmm. Like I had this preconceived idea about what that meant, what would happen, what it would look like. And I don't have a crystal ball. What, where did, what was I, what was I thinking? I knew what was going to happen. Yeah. You know, if I do, it was going to happen. I'll go play the lottery a whole bunch of times. And- <laughs> it's so funny you say that because, you know, stepmoms hear it all the time. Well, you knew what you were getting into or you knew what you signed up for. And I wrote a blog about you don't have a crystal ball. And if you did, you would be playing the lottery. <laughs> right. And, and we may think, and that's the problem. We may think, I thought I knew mm-hmm. what was going to happen. And, and, and maybe I was right about some of the things because we can sort of, you know, we kind of know what's going to happen. If you punch somebody in the face, you know, you're probably going to make them angry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's some things we can, we can, but, but, but I didn't see how awesome it could be. Like I, I didn't leave any room for, for the beauty and, and then sort of the growth. And uh, like, I, I was just writing, the, I actually I just made a post about, um, know what I learned I thought I was sort of quitting a job to be a parent and was kind of reluctant about it it wasn't like I was like sweet I got the best job I'm gonna be a stay-at-home parent this is awesome you know I knew it was gonna be hard yeah and 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 for the longest time I I struggled to kind of get out of it and like you know I started a business I did anything I could I took crappy jobs to just sort of have some I was so attached to the work identity I didn't want to be just a stay-at-home dad because I felt like you know the pansy or whatever Mm -hmm. And I felt like I wasn't a man. Uh, but then I realized just recently that, that actually that's, that's, there's nothing wrong with that. No, <laughs> that there that is nothing wrong with that. That it's fine. And there's nothing, and there's nothing re- like, I don't deserve any you know special treatment about it. It's just something. And, and in fact, it's taught me way more. And so, yeah, the, I, I was afraid, I was terrified of the way that I would change my relationship with my daughters, mm-hmm. that it would change the relationship with my girlfriend time became a wife and that I wouldn't be able to handle a fourth kid, all, all of the things that anybody's ever scared of. But with the addition of now there's four other people, even my, you know, I was like, what's my ex-wife going to think? Cause at that time I was still sort of attached to, to getting along with her or mm-hmm. you know, her not fighting me. I mean, that's a whole nother level. You know, yes. I've never had to deal with seeing my wife's ex around and they don't have any kids. So I'm so lucky that I haven't had to deal with those things. Or maybe, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not lucky because I didn't have the opportunity to deal with that. And I'm also lucky that I get along pretty well with my ex-wife. I mean, that adds huge layers of complexity. But yeah, just I was I was terrified of the unknown. Yes. And do your older daughters do they like being a big sister? Or do you hear them say, I'm sure you never let us get away with that. No, I never, I'm sure they think that, you know, and they, <laughs> they think that Ren gets preferential treatment, but all I've ever said is you were exactly the same way when you were at five, you got exactly the same junk. You got exactly mm-hmm. the same freedom, you know, so don't start. And that's always enough, but I think they love it. And and again, in their other family, they inherited a step brother that's their age. Oh, who, okay. Again, he's, he's part of our family, Yes, <laughs> you know, and, and uh, it's so cool to see how they 
you know, I, I think these kids, they are so far ahead of us with their tolerance of, you know, different lifestyles and races and all these other things. And just, they didn't come into this with the same negative beliefs that we do. I'm mm-hmm. so worried about them reacting to the stepdaughter, whereas they just went, oh, baby, yes. <laughs> you know, yeah. oh, I have a brother now. That's, you know, mm-hmm. and that watching them and just sort of realizing that they're better at this than me <laughs> is, yeah. is awesome. One thing that I want to bring up, too, is a lot of times, you know, like we talked about guilty parent syndrome. And so your wife may say, you're stricter on Ren than you are your older kids. But the thing is, she may in turn complain about you not being strict on your older kids. <laughs> so it's one of those yeah. things of be thankful that he is stricter on your kid because that's how you're wanting to be, him to be with well, his no, other kids. I would- and if she said that, which she hasn't, I would say, I learned it from you. <laughs> but, and, and I think we would laugh about it. And it's, mm-hmm. and it's probably true. And I'm certainly stricter on the big girls than I am, than I used to be on them, mm-hmm. right? which I, I learned from them. Yes. Yeah, it's, fun, it's funny. I'm just so, again, like comparing the terror I had about doing this to where we are now, I could not have even guessed that it would be so different. Right. Mm-hmm. Way less scary than I thought. There were some bad moments, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but way more rewarding than I ever would have believed. <laughs> yes. And I'm sure, yeah, there's much more to come. But well, it and, and it's pushing through those times because I think you mentioned something about feeling like you had made a mistake. And I remember sitting there thinking, me getting married to David and bringing my son into this was the worst thing I could have done for him. Mm-hmm. And that's just how I felt at the moment. And you have to push through those moments because that's well, not and, how I feel now. Right. And, and I think it's also important to have your, you know, you still matter, mm-hmm. right? You still get to get things. And I was definitely in a spot where I had sort of surrendered any life I would have outside of work to the kids, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to have relationships. I'm just not going to do these things because I'm a divorced dad. Right. Got to focus on this. Now, I think the flip side is pretty crappy. I see plenty of divorced parents that just go, I'm going to party and I'm going to do whatever mm-hmm. I want and I'm going to, but it's going to be awesome. And I think that does have, you know, a different, probably a little more negative effect on the kids. Well, um, you want your kids to see a happy, healthy relationship. Right. Yeah, You exactly. Mm-hmm. And there was a time where I think mine didn't, you know, they were probably like, that's pretty lame. (laughs) (laughs) And it's just true. So, yeah, yeah, but I, but I would still rather err on the side of, um, you know, being less selfish than more. Uh, Mm -hmm. But again, I'm I'm glad it worked out the way that it did. It's, it's hard. It's hard. And and what I really feel bad about is these fresh divorcees that think they're divorced parents that just going through it, that don't see any light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. Uh, for their kids or themselves. <laughs> yeah. And that's definitely not true. Gosh, it's so hard to see. It is. First. It is. And then you get the, the whole court battle stuff. And uh-huh. I am not a fan of the family court system. And everybody that listens to my podcast knows that. <laughs> and it's not because I've lost. It's just because I think it's a bunch of crap. And it's the good old boy system where, oh, yeah, I'm going to fight you in court. But then the attorneys go out drinking and having a good well, time. Oh yeah. Don't get yeah. me started. I mean, that all falls under like the, the, my podcast topics, you know, it's like that legal, the legal system is way broken. 
Yes. That, 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 that because of what you just said, mm-hmm. we know, we see the problems like, oh man, there is a problem here, but we just mm-hmm. are so helpless to change it. Yeah. I mean, the United States is the most litigious you know, place in the world. And I think so much of what we do is because we're terrified of being sued because yes. these avenues exist. Like, yes. why could you even do that? I know. <laughs> like, I know. When I got divorced and I give this advice to everybody is all I wanted out of our divorce was equitability. What was mm-hmm. fair? Right. Right. Like half, 50% of whatever matters is fair. Mm-hmm. And my ex-wife, she wanted everything. And even, even though it was basically her fault and it, it took a while to sort of <laughs> bring her to the middle, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> but it, you know, I think the spirit of equitable, if that's what drives it, if fairness drives the process, then it, it's, it's way easier than it has to be. And then the problem, like what, what you're describing in the court system, that ain't, that's gotten past fair. <laughs> yes. It's I'm telling you, I could, yeah, I could do a podcast every day on the family court system. Yeah, And um, once my child turns 18, I may just do that. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's, it's funny as they get to that point, it's sort of like, and that was the big thing that shifted for me with the, having a new kid is I had been counting the days to my youngest was 18. Right. And then mm-hmm. when I told my brother, I said, I just hit reset, man. Yes, you I just did. hit reset by like 10 years. Mm-hmm. You but did. that's my fault. I mean, I forever even thinking that besides what you're saying, there is a legal meaning to them turning 18. But yeah, it means baby daddy can't take me back to court for stupid. Crap. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yep. Which is, which has value. <laughs> yes. Well, Chris, it has been great having you as a guest well, on our podcast. Lori, that was so much fun. Thank you for letting me talk. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. And, and maybe and for what you have, do. Yeah. I mean, this is really important. I'm just, I'm blessed that we are allowed to do this and that the struggles that we went through, we're allowed to help other people not have to deal with the same thing. Absolutely. Good and maybe you. we can get Kathleen on. I think that would be really cool. I would love to see her and hear her, you know, speak on these, these topics. Yeah. So, so talk to her about it. Okay. I will. Yeah. Let me know what she says. Yeah. I'll be in touch. All maybe right. uh, if you're interested, I'll see what we can do with you on my podcast. That'd be fun too. Yeah. That would be great. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you again. And you have a great day. Yeah, you too, Lord. See ya. Bye-bye. I have to give David kudos, y'all. Even though he nachos my sweet baby boy, he helped him today replace the alternator on his truck. Sure did. And saved his sanity and our marriage. <laughs> yes. <laughs> exactly. I really appreciate it because Jackson tends to get really frustrated with things. Not that that stopped him, but you were kind of there to motivate him not to give up. Whereas I would have already walked off and been like, forget that. Yeah. Yeah. He, he reached the stopping point a couple of times. I had to pull him back in. <laughs> so thank you for doing that, Nacho Dad. You are very welcome. Appreciate it. And yes, I said appreciate it. <laughs> that is a word here in Lancaster, South Carolina. It is not. <laughs> it is now. <laughs> All right. What else we got going on, David? Mm. Oh, the men's only Q&A coaching call is October the 9th. Oh, well, I forgot about that. Better not forget on October the 9th. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I won't forget then. No. So it's the men's only, first ever, Nacho Kids Academy Q&A coaching call, October the 9th. Yeah, that's like next Saturday. Yes. Wow. I know. It's almost Christmas. All right. Get your dudes up in there. Bring <laughs> you an adult beverage. We're going to have a good time. Oh, Lord have mercy. <laughs>
<laughs> and just for the record, I will not even be in the house. I know. Party. I will be out of town. Man. I'm going to hide a recording device upstairs before I leave to make sure David don't talk junk about me. <laughs> All right. Anything else we got going on? I think that's it. All right. Sorry it's been short and sweet, but we got to go. <laughs> All right, folks. That is our show for today. Thanks for listening and join us next week. And remember, life is good. When you nacho. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nacho Kids Podcast. Find us online at nachokids.com. Until next time, remember, life is good when you nacho.